there, this is James Lindsay. You are listening to New Discourses Bullets, where I give a bullet point summary of a topic to help you understand what's going on with the woke movement, woke Marxism, I should say, in our world. Today, I want to illustrate for you just quickly and simply a very important topic, which is how we have a the, the woke reproduce Maoism, particularly in our schools and in, in education. It's actually brought in as a portion of, or really the operative part of whether it's uh, social and emotional learning of the transformative type or whether it's uh, culturally responsive or culturally relevant teaching or education or pedagogy, um, they're actually reproducing Maoism. Ethnic studies is probably doing this as well to a degree. Uh, it's a little bit different, but woke education in general is reproducing Maoism in our schools, and it's very important to understand what's going on with Maoism. Now, if you want a further deeper dive on this than I'm going to offer in this short little bullet point summary here, I encourage you to go listen to uh, a podcast on the New Discourses podcast called Groomer Schools 3. Um, turns out I did a short series called Groomer Schools. There are three of them. I recommend everybody that's interested in understanding what's happening in education. Listen to all three of those. The third one is going to cover in greater detail what I'm summarizing here in a quick digestible form. So here's how it worked. Mao Zedong, that's of course the communist dictator of China in the 1960s and 70s, but also really in the early 50s as well, he got deposed from power and brought back, uh, in, or came back, I should say, in 1966, and in, at which point he installed the Cultural Revolution, used a program um, that pushed young people into becoming what he called the Red Guard, which was a revolutionary Marxist guard in the student movement. He radicalized university students, college students, uh, high school students, and elementary school students at various ways and various levels, and they became the primary change agents, if you will, for the society that he was trying to create that basically built and entrenched his power. What the Red Guard did was they went and destroyed the four olds. In other words, they severed the current culture from all previous culture, previous identity, previous everything. So the four olds that they destroyed were old culture, old customs, old habits, and old ways of thinking. Those all had to be destroyed. And so this would mean that they would, the Red Guard would go out and they would tear down statues to tear down the old culture. They would invade temples and destroy them from the inside out. They would come home and beat their parents or grandparents or rat them out or turn them into the authorities or publicly shame them in struggle sessions, make them wear dunce caps, make them march through the cities. They would uh, beat their teachers and uh, professors who didn't get on board with revolutionary ideology or publicly shame them and, and put them in these struggle session situations. They would go around to the old Chinese medicine or the Chinese uh, martial arts people and beat and shame them for holding up elements of old backwards culture that the communists wanted to get rid of. So religion, family, uh, nation, all of these ideas had to be destroyed. Old ideas had to be destroyed, and the Red Guard were the ones who do it. So how did you make the Red Guard? And that's the relevant question. We already see, by the way, many of those things happening. We've seen the the you know move away from religion. We see the uh, the insulting, rampant insulting of Christianity in in the United States and the West. We see tearing down of statuary. We see uh, you know getting rid of the old songs. We have two national anthems apparently now. We have to get rid of the old national anthem. We have a black national anthem too on the wake of the Black Lives Matter. We have to do have to rethink and reimagine how we're going to reorganize everything in society, like. You name it. 
So how do you create a red guard? Well, here's how Mao did it. Mao created 10 different identity categories. He called five of them black, and that was for bad or fascist. And he called five of them red, and that was for good or communist. And the red guard were selected from the red identity categories. The black identity categories he labeled were things, well, the, actually the five that he named were uh, rich farmer, landlord, um, counter-revolutionary, bad influences, and right-wingers. And then the good ones were things like peasant and laborer and revolutionary and activist and things like that. And so the goal was to take as many people as you could and associate them one way or another with a bad identity to create a social pressure that was easiest to affect in children to move them into a good identity. So you want to make people think of themselves. They call this, if you want to read How to Have Impossible Conversations, we talk about this in there. It's called alter casting. You put somebody in a uh, alternate psychological or, or social role and get them, they will actually try to adhere to that. You want to get them in these good social identities as defined by the people in power, Mao in this case, and you shame them out of the bad ones, which is not part of alter casting, by the way. In alter casting, you get somebody to live up to a particular image of themselves. It's a marketing technique. But at any rate, what you would do is you take a kid in school. Well, first you create a condition in school where the kids who have the good identities get special treatment. Maybe it's better lunches. Maybe they get to wear special clothes. Maybe they get to lord over the other kids. Maybe they get extra recess. Something desirable to children. Uh, in general, they get better treatment in one way or another. And the kids who don't, don't get that. And they get excluded from it. They get treated badly. And they have to go to like different kinds of lessons or whatever you might imagine. And then you try to associate kids with bad identities unless they're already basically red guard worthy. And only red identities could become red guard, which was then considered honored. And so you create this social pressure to shift. And so if somebody is the son of a landlord or a farmer who's doing well, a kulak in the Soviet language or the Soviet construction, then you shame those kids. You may even you label them with their black identity. Your parents are right wing. They have conservative ideas. So you have to have this black identity and we're going to mistreat you. So that's why they're going to go home and beat their parents and grandparents, for example, because their parents are the ones that have the wrong ideas. So they get unfair treatment at school because of something somebody else is doing. So just rat them out and we'll make you a revolutionary. And then you have a, a red identity and then you get the special treatment. And so imagine if you could create a situation where you're talking to kids constantly about identity factors where some of them are made good and some of them are made bad. So you talk to them about race using critical race theory and you say how they're, they're all complicit no matter what their race, but especially if they're white or white adjacent in upholding white supremacy. And that makes them bad. It makes them racist. It makes them uphold a oppressive system that hurts lots of people and think of how emotional that can get and how not fair that is. And they're, they're complicit in part of that, but they can become an ally, which is a red identity now. Or you tell them that, you know, if maybe they're a racial minority, they don't have to become an ally. They need to become politically black or politically brown. They have to become, as Ayanna Presley put it, a black face who wants to be a black voice instead of a black face who doesn't want to be a black voice voice, which she said, we don't want any more of those things. So you can move people into allyship and po political solidarity. Being in solidarity constitutes a red identity, politically black, red identity. And 
then with the poor allies, though, you tell them that it never really works, right? You're never really good enough. You just became an ally to make yourself look good. You became a good white if they're a white kid, for example. You're trying to escape your work. You have white fragility. You're trying to escape your racial work. You, you, you're actually doing your allyship wrong. You're speaking over and for people. Your allyship is actually reinforcing your privilege. So your allyship is done wrong. So you have to be an even better ally constantly. But by the way, you could also not just using critical race theory, you could also use queer theory and gender theory, and you could become bisexual, or you could become demisexual, you could become pansexual, or something that even harder to understand for previous generations. You could ha explore your romantic, all this kind of self-indulgent, narcissistic, navel-gazing about sex, sexuality, gender identity, etc., and your, your romantic identity, your sexual identity, your gender identity, you could transition. And now, if you're politically queer in one way or another, then you also have a red identity. You don't even have to just be an ally. And then other people have to be an ally with you. And the solidarity reinforces. So with critical race theory on the one hand and queer theory on the other, or gender theory, whichever one you want, combining together within the context of, say, a delivery mechanism like social emotional learning or ethnic studies or liberatory education or, you know, culturally responsive or relevant or sustaining teaching, any of these programs are putting in everywhere, you can create these exact pathways. You're a racist, but you could become an ally. You're upholding white supremacy, but you could become politically black. You are complicit in these systems of oppression, but you could transition and become politically uh, queer. And so you can create this exact same Maoist pressure to create the exact same kind of red guard. And what is the red guard going to do? It's going to separate from the previous generation. How? You come home and you say, you know, I'm whatever sexuality, whatever. I'm a political, political activist. Your parents try to correct you and you say things have changed. You don't understand. You have it wrong. I was a bad identity because I was raised by you and you sever from family. Our country's had it wrong. Our country's been bad all along and you sever from nation. Religion is backwards. It's been wrong and you sever from church. You sever from faith. You sever from religion. And the entire four olds of culture can be taken down and you have a whole pot of activists ready to go tear down statues of Thomas Jefferson, ready to turn in and shame their parents, just like under Mao. Why did it why are we seeing in America and in Canada and, and throughout the West things that happened exactly in Maoist China during his Cultural Revolution? Because the exact same mechanism is happening in our schools. And it's being installed there deliberately, and it's being installed there because it works. It's not just stupid stuff. It's not just indoctrination. It is a political program to radicalize the youth, to separate them from the previous culture. So you have to ask yourself if you have any power to change anything that's happening in schools, including whether or not your children attend them. Do you want to have them participate in this? Do you want your child to be cannon fodder in this movement? Do you want your state or your nation's children to be cannon fodder in this revolution for these identity-based Marxists? Because this is what they're doing and this is how it works. Identity Marxism becomes identity Maoism under these applications in the schools. And so we're seeing the playing out of a cultural revolution in the United States and Canada and throughout the West, very similar to the cultural revolution in China, because it's the exact same tools targeting the exact same audiences. The only thing that's different is it's not old school communist identities where it's rich people versus poor people uh, and right-wingers versus the revolutionaries. Now it's right-wingers versus revolutionaries and various identity politics factors versus others. And so now you can understand what's really happening in the schools and why it's so important that we get the woke DEI-based stuff out of schools, DEI's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that we get very strict on programs like social and emotional learning that are facilitating it.